Hi, welcome back to Breach, Buckeyes Racial Ethnic Equity Awareness Centered in Healthcare. I'm your host, Alex Abreu. I'm an honors undergraduate student at The Ohio State University. This is part two of my interview with uh, Dr. Elena Johns-Wolf. Let's jump right back in. Uh, Dr. Johns-Wolf, one of the interesting topics you've studied is stress and its effects. Here as undergrads, we're familiar with stress, but in a less chronic sense than what you study. You have a publication called Associations Between Lifetime Stress Exposure, Race, and First Birth and Tetanus in the United States. Can you talk more about that study and what stress means for health? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we all know that stress is really important on our lives. And so in this paper, we examine the relationship between stress across your lifetime. So not just stress today or stress yesterday, but stress when you were a kid Um, and how that impacts or is related to whether or not someone plans to have their first child. So first, let me discuss on why there is a focus uh, in the public health world on what are called unintended pregnancies. So there's a great deal of attention focused on avoiding unintended pregnancies, mainly for two reasons. The first is that pregnancy intendedness might affect behaviors that can in turn affect infant health. Um, For instance, we know that people who have intended pregnancies are more likely to have earlier prenatal visits. But also unintended pregnancy might suggest that the pregnant person themselves didn't have full autonomy over their own reproduction. Um, And so as a sociologist, I'm really interested in that second part. So from the National Survey of Family Growth, we know that Black people are twice as likely as white people to have an unintended birth. So research has really focused on equity, um, so your access, equal access to resources as a source of this disparity. But in this paper, we also ask about how maybe psychological factors are at play. Um, So in particular, we're interested in how structural racism plays a role in shaping people's experiences with stressful events and how that might be related to unintended birth. Um, So you might think this happens in kind of one way, um, and I'm gonna give you a quick clue into the future of what I'm talking about here, um, that it's not the case for everyone. Um, So you might assume that someone who's experienced a lot of stress in their life may not want to have a child. Um, and because, you know, why bring in more stress into your life? Well, we find that this works differently for black and white women. So our research asks how that stress accumulation across someone's life might affect their reported pregnancy intentions for their first child. So we interviewed about 200 women who had just given birth to their first child about a lot of different things. So we use a measure of stress, of cumulative stress called the stress and adversity inventory strain that asks about stressful events related to housing, relationships, their job, et cetera, everything you can think of basically. Um, It asks about the timing of that stress, 
So when did it happen? And then how threatening was that to them? So we use this measure to predict whether or not someone says that their pregnancy was intended. And we find that there is greater lifetime, uh, greater lifetime stress exposure is related to first birth intendedness in different ways for white and black women. So for white women, it works the way that maybe you would think it would work. Uh, so greater lifetime stress exposure was related to decreased first birth intendedness for white women, but we find that the opposite is the case for black women. And there's some research in sociology that gives us a window into why this might be the case. So there's a wonderful book by Eden Kafalis called Promises I Can Keep that talks about the importance of motherhood. Um, and so we can start to unpack why these pregnancy intentions might go up, that motherhood is also a source of strength. It's a source of hope for people. Um, and so we're starting to pull back about these assumptions we might have about first birth intendedness and what that actually means and when planning is right for someone. So these patterns also held up when we adjusted for things like age, whether or not they had a partner, uh, their household income, and their education. So what you might take from this, um, or what providers might take from this, is to not make assumptions about when it's right for someone to have a child. Um, and that's really kind of the takeaway I would want your listeners to get from this. The COVID-19 pandemic has deeply impacted many communities in Ohio and uh, all across the country. Could you explain what challenges abortion-seeking patients have gone through during this pandemic? Absolutely. So in the open project uh, in which we survey patients seeking abortion care, um, we actually started that research at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so this gives us a window into what that process was like in a time that we really had no idea what was to come um, and what people were going to experience. So as you might remember, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a huge concern about preserving PPE for healthcare workers. So many states, Ohio included, implemented a non-essential surgery or non-essential procedure ban to limit the use of PPE in what they considered to be non-essential procedures. Well, unfortunately, abortion was included in this categorization of non-essential procedures um, for a bit. And so we are able to trace the difficulties that patients ran into um, throughout the pandemic in accessing care. So not just accessing the procedure itself, but also accessing contraception, any type of sexual and reproductive health care, et cetera. So we find that both white and black patients experienced delays in sexual and reproductive health care at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so that's delays in receiving care, that's having appointments being canceled, canceled, things like that. 
However, once that ban was lifted on non-essential procedures, we see that white patients seeking abortion care um, saw fewer delays, but that that delay had a slower coming back for, um, for our, the black abortion seeking patients. And same going on as when we started to get more into the pandemic, we saw that those disparities in access um, kind of continued. So what we can take from this is that we know that access to reproductive, um, sexual and reproductive health care is difficult oftentimes for uh, Black patients seeking care, and that the COVID-19 pandemic perhaps exacerbated this. Now, I do want to give one caveat. Um, this is self-reported that the patients perceive these as being COVID-19 related challenges. So it may not be that the clinic itself canceled the appointment. It might be that the person themselves canceled the appointment because of something they were dealing with that was COVID related outside of their life. So we also ask the respondents about whether or not they um, or a partner or someone within their household lost a job due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which was pretty frequent early on. And we find that this is also a disparity. So uh, Black abortion-seeking patients were reporting that a lot of their family members or they themselves had lost the job at least more frequently than those white patients. So from this, I would want you to take away that these challenges that we often see aren't just in, you know, keeping an appointment, but it's all those things that pile up on us outside as well um, that make things challenging for people. Going into how uh, this is affecting this patient population, what are some policies that are currently affecting them? And what are some additional steps that Ohio legislators need to take in order to advance reproductive health care? Uh, for these patients? Yeah, so Ohio's abortion policy um, is extremely restrictive when we look at it compared to other states. Um, so Ohio law currently has several different, what I introduced a term called trap laws. So these are targeted regulations of abortion providers, um, but they also are regulating the abortion procedure itself too. Um, so I'm going to push your listeners to jump on the open website. So it's open.osu.edu and go to our legislation page. So on this page, you can see a list of these different restrictions that the state of Ohio currently has or those that they're talking about. Um, and so, so just as an example of some of these, there is... Uh, limit on how many weeks gestation a pregnancy can be, uh, except in cases of severe threats to that pregnant person's health or when their life is endangered. Um, pregnant people under the age of 18 must get consent of a parent before obtaining an abortion, or they can um, go to the courts to get a judicial wave of that consent process. Um, there's also a trigger ban. So this is if something at the federal level from the Supreme Court, if Roe versus Wade is challenged 
um, or gutted by the Supreme Court, that would immediately ban abortion care in the state of Ohio. Um, so these are the types of things. This is the atmosphere of the Ohio State Legislature right now pushing uh, for these restrictions on both the abortion procedure, the abortion seeker themselves, and abortion providers that do not make it easy for someone to access this care. Um, and so I would encourage legislatures, I would encourage you, the listener, to educate yourself about these policies and then about the research against these policies. Um, we know that by making abortion more difficult for someone, um, that it creates an unsafe situation. We're now in a state um, of the country where people are traveling out of state to go obtain an abortion. And so what that means for equity and access is that people who have the means to travel will have access to abortion care, but people who don't have the means will not. Um, and so these policies are really important to think about um, and to challenge. So recently on March 3rd, uh, Florida released new legislation uh, banning abortion at 15 weeks. Um, Dr. Johns Wolf, what are your thoughts on uh, this new legislation? Yeah, I'm really concerned. So this, Law seeks to ban abortions after 15 weeks. So right now um, in the state of Florida, you can get an abortion up to 24 weeks. So that's cutting two months off, right? Um, and what we know is that this creates from it happening in other places, this creates an equity issue. Um, so people who don't have good access to abortion care um, or other reproductive healthcare are more likely to get later gestation abortions. And so we know that that means that those people will also now no longer have access to abortion care. So what this will lead to is people leaving the state again. Um, so in these states that restrict abortion care, um, we know that people will be more likely to leave the state, um, they'll be more likely to seek other um, means. And so this is, is really concerning. As you mentioned before, many of our listeners who are interested in getting involved with your research can go to the open website and learn more. Um, what are some other resources out there um, where our listeners can educate themselves and maybe even contribute to helping uh, solve these issues? Absolutely. So I think starting on that open website and learning about what work is being done in the state of Ohio right now, um, research for reproductive health care is your first step for sure. Um, you can also look to different agencies throughout the state who are supporting this work and supporting access and um, volunteer with those agencies. And if you're really interested in getting involved in research, I would encourage you to reach out to some of the researchers involved in OPEN. There's a lot of really great work that spans a lot of different projects. And so perhaps you'll find a place there. Great. And now it's time for the bottom line. Dr. Johns Wolf, what is one message that you would like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? Yeah. So. My bottom line would be that um, as a sociologist, 
we show that race and racism is something that's structural. So that means it's built into the actual fabric of our society. From this lens, we can start to unpack how different institutions like housing that I discussed in part one, um, in healthcare, like I discussed in part two, that these institutions shape the racial inequities and disparities that we see in society. And so by being able to see this trickle down and pinpoint mechanisms that create this inequity, hopefully we'll be able to start to find a path forward. Great. This is the end of part two of our interview today. Um, I just want to say thank you, Dr. Johns Wolf, for being on the podcast today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed chatting about this topic with you. Um, and I look forward to hearing more podcasts from you all. <laughs>